Ante Up is your poker magazine dedicated to the everyday player and their poker rooms. Pick up a free copy at your favorite poker room nationwide each month. But Ante Up is much more than a magazine. Visit AnteUpMagazine.com daily for breaking news and each week download our award-winning poker cast. Join us on our action-packed poker cruises to exotic destinations. Ante Up, it's your poker magazine. From the Anti-Up headquarters in Tampa Bay, Florida, it's the Anti-Up PokerCast. And now, here are two guys who think they know how to play poker, Chris Casenza and Scott Long. It is March 2nd, 2018. You're listening to the best PokerCast on the interwebs. I'm Chris Casenza. And I'm Scott Long. Somehow I sound perky, but I don't know how that's possible because I took those PM things last night and I woke up all groggy. Don't don't ever take those things when you gotta like get up early the next day, man. It, they're brutal. Uh, I, I don't take any of the Western medicine, uh, <laughs> particularly not these things that help people sleep. Because I've experienced the same thing you have. Anytime I take any of that stuff at night, and Laura's always like, "Oh, take this cough medicine or take this pill," and you'll be. And then uh, I'm I'm a zombie the whole next day. Yeah, I mean, I've done it. I don't, I only do it once in a while, or I do it when like this allergy season right now is kicking in. And I've been taking like the allergy medicine and stuff to try to help. And the other night, it was like 4 a.m. or something. I had a sneezing fit. And so last night, it got to be like 1.30, 2 o'clock in the morning. I still wasn't sleeping. I'm like, let me just try one of these. Maybe it'll knock me out. And, and it worked. But then I could hardly wake up this morning. So uh, advice to the Any Up Nation, uh, don't mix your PMs and uh, allergy medicine <laughs> at the same time. It's not good. Groundbreaking medical research being done here, Danny. Up, folks. <laughs> we got to have one of those those fast talking disclaimers at the end of the show. <laughs> Opinions of the Anti Up Nation or for the Anti Up crew do not pertain to medical. So I don't know, but anyway, I feel. Position of Anti Up is right for you. <laughs> side effects seem come from. Uh... Well, you know the side effects. They always involve diarrhea. There, there's nothing that you can take that doesn't involve diarrhea, yeah. right? Yeah. And then every single one of the side of shows that have this or commercials that have the side effects always have side effects that are exactly the things that they're suffering from before they take the pill anyway. <laughs> you know, this heart attack medicine may have side effect of giving you a heart attack. <laughs> so I came across this item this week, and I don't know if people actually follow stuff that goes on like in the UK or whatever, but this was pretty awesome to me. Well, I'm going to guess that our listeners in the UK do at least. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I, you know, sometimes I forget we're worldwide. <laughs> Uh, Jay Cody, uh, really good player. Uh, he won a high roller in the UK this week, and he put the entire $60,000 prize on black at the roulette table and won. <laughs> now, this raises so many questions and, and things. You know, when they say, uh, oh, I'm just playing for the bracelet. The money doesn't matter. This this clearly was one of those situations <laughs> Where he's like, you know, I'm gonna enter a high roller, and oh, I'm gonna win six grand, sixty grand, and oh, I'm just gonna, and the whole place stopped basically. Yeah. Basically, just watch this guy throw it on there, and um, I don't know if I've talked about this on the show before, but when my wife and I were were engaged and first getting together and stuff, uh, she loved to go to the casino and play roulette. That was her thing. She she played so much roulette that we our honeymoon was comped at Foxwoods, and we stayed in Frank Sinatra's suite. Nice. It had was four, Frank there with you? He wasn't there. No, he wasn't there. But it had four phones in the bathroom. 
That's how big this place was. <laughs> so uh, she had a little system, and one of the numbers that she always played was 22 black. And that's the number that came out for Jake Cody. So my wife would have won, too. Wow. Had she been playing with Jake Cody. She probably um, would have not have won 120000 No, no. But what do you think about this? Do you think that it's uh, these guys got these, these gambling mentalities and money really doesn't mean anything to them? Or do you think it was just like sixty k wasn't enough for him, so he wanted to double it? What do you think? Well, first of all, I will say we're ugly Americans because it wasn't $60,000. That was the American conversion from British pounds. Yes. <laughs> but like trying to be accessible pounds. to our larger audience, correct? But, uh, no, um, a couple things I would say about this. One, I think if you've never in your deepest, darkest thoughts as a poker player thought about doing this, you are lying. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Everybody's thought about doing this. A few people actually ever do it, and that's probably a good thing. But but let's not act like this is something that's just completely crazy because we all, I, I think, have thought about doing that at one time or another, right? Um in terms of, is this just one of those money means nothing to them? I, I don't know. Um, obviously, the sixty thousand was not going to hurt him because if he's going to, it was going to hurt him. Uh, I, I don't think there's any way you do this, right? He wasn't drunk. He wasn't being goaded into it. He just thought it would be fun to do. So, um, so I don't believe he was wagering money that he couldn't afford to lose. So there, there's that. Um, uh, but I, I think it's also just part of the euphoric part of poker, right? He is got done winning this great tournament, and it's a high roller, so it had to be against really good players, I think. Uh, and then you're on that rush, and you just decide to ride the rush. And this happens to gamblers all the time, and I know poker's not gambling, but you know, re- related, right? So you know, people like to ride the rush. That's why they press it in craps or. Why they uh, double their bets in blackjack, um, or while they they leave it going, letting it ride on roulette, um, or you know bet the the cowboys one more time because the cowboys have won the last four times. So uh, to me, this just seemed like a fun thing in the moment that it happened to work out. I don't know what the story would have been had he lost it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, we'd still be talking about it, and we'd probably be talking about it differently. So it's a hey, it's a happy ending here. So that's great. Um, but I don't know if somebody's looking for me to criticize him for doing this, I'm not going to do it. But no, I'm uh, not going to. Also, do it not gonna, if somebody's looking for me to suggest that everybody be this crazy and cavalier with their winnings, I'm not going to do that either. So, see, each the, his own. The thing about it, though, like I'm the opposite. Like when I was having those thoughts, and by the way, thoughts and actions are different things, Scott. So they are. They but are. Um, <laughs> when I had those thoughts, it was like I would get it all in with aces preflop against ace king and some guy would make broadway on me and i'd lose 200 bucks then i think to myself you know i'm just gonna go to atm take 200 put it on black get my money back (laughs) that's what i I think of when i'm losing trying to double my money instantly rather than well that's the whole reason the martingale black and jack system came up and people fall for it yeah Black oh my jet. god, that makes sense. All I have to do is win once and I'm rich. No, <laughs> not really. <laughs> you called it Black and Jack. <laughs> the whole Martingale Black and Jack system. Come on, yeah, that, it, it's a very clever name for it, right? It's better on the packaging. I think you black liked ACDC jack. as a kid. I'm Black and Jack! <laughs> oh, this is the drugs talking. This is PMs, man. That. I can't take those anymore before a show, man. It's crazy. I, I got nothing in me but residual natural light from last night, so. <laughs> oh, jeez. All right, I'll let you talk now. <laughs> no, I, I said what I said. You were, you were getting into my business there. with uh... <laughs> Black and Jack. 
<laughs> All right. Well, congrats, Cody. That was pretty awesome. That was a that was a big deal and uh, gave us something to talk about this week. Appreciate it. Yeah. Now, now he's probably under pressure to put the hundred twenty thousand on something else. Now he's eventually going to lose it. Yeah, that so would be the on one number. Flat. Then I'd be impressed. <laughs> Coin flip? Eh. No, I'm just kidding. I, I would never have the guts to do that. That was crazy. All right, well, I thought this next item was interesting. Again, we always like dance around politics on this show. Some people probably say we don't dance around; we die right into it. But, uh, <laughs> but I, I just found this column really, really fascinating for lots of things. So we'll uh, obviously I'll explain why I mean by it after I tell you what I'm talking about. But Lawrence R. Jacobs uh, has written an interesting column in the Minneapolis Star Tribune, saying he plays in two home games, one with mostly Republicans and one with mostly Democrats. And he says each game plays completely differently. He says the GOP game has very few rules. Players bet what they want, bluff often, and call a wide variety of games. The game of Democrats has lots of rules, limits on bets, and arguments usually result in a new rule. Most interesting, uh, winners in the Democratic game are expected to tithe back to losers, while losers in the Republican game hit the road with empty pockets. So... Uh, what I thought was interesting, one, uh, I really appreciate the fact that Lawrence plays in two different games with two different kinds of people. I think that's what's really important, uh, especially uh, as divided our country is now, is for people to have friends and socialize with people that think differently than they do, because uh, that's where you learn, so that's good. And I also think it's really interesting <clears throat> that he, he saw these games differently, and I guess we could uh, pick back and forth on whether this is what you would expect from each of these games or not. That's not really my intention in talking about it today, but it is interesting that um, uh, who we are as people carries out through almost everything we do in life, right? Mm. There's some some differences, you know, and we've talked often about the, the company and how I'm uh, much more conservative at the table, much more aggressive with the company. You're the opposite, right? But other than that, I think generally speaking, who we are as people is how we approach everything in our lives. So... This is just, I think, uh, it's not proof because it's an opinion from one guy, but it, it, it's more fodder for that kind of argument, I think, right? Yeah, I, I think that uh, it's difficult to shed who you are in life. I mean, it, it, and that's, the, that's what makes the really good poker players are the ones who have the ability to not follow character. True. Yeah, very good point. You know, so I wonder if this guy is cleaning up at these games because he's, these these players he's playing against are so clearly <laughs> he's playing Democratic know. at a Republican game and yeah, playing Republican exactly, yeah. exactly. And if he ever plays independent, he'll really clean up. But uh, <laughs> but seriously, I I don't know if um, if I like you said we, when we play our games, we do play differently than we do in life. So maybe that makes us decent players. I don't know. Um, this is definitely art imitating life, though, or sport imitating life, I guess, because that is pretty much remarkable that that's the way their games are run, that the way they want to run the country. It is kind of interesting that way, and I'm not trying to get into the political thing either. It, that's it's a fact. Um, uh, but you're right. I I, uh, I think the more successful players um, are able to break away from who they are and what they are, because all you'd have to do is get to know somebody then, and then you would know how they play poker and then just play the opposite. So... Um, these people clearly can't do that. Uh, it's very interesting. Very interesting read. Yeah, so, I mean, none of the stuff that he mentioned uh, surprised me. A lot of, I think all these things in both games are things that our listeners have sent us saying, hey, oh, my home game does this and I don't like it that way or I wish my game was this way, but it's not, right? Right. With the exception of one, uh, I'm still having trouble getting over the tithing back to losers. Yeah. 
I've never heard of that done in any game. No listeners ever told me that that's the expectation there. I would never in a million years suggest in our game, oh, gosh, man, sorry, I feel bad you lost your 100 bucks. Here's 10. Yeah. Uh, so I'm I, I'm really fascinated how that came up in that game and um, and whether that's, you know, we're getting ready to have the Oscars on Sunday and, you know, sometimes these true-life movies, they take a little artistic license from here to there, right? Yeah. I wonder if this is an artistic license and where, where Lawrence is just kind of um, seeing it that way or if there's an actual process or a calculation that, all right, so you lost 100 bucks, all right, everybody throws a $5.87 this way. The guys are calculator making sure, right? Uh, I, I can't imagine that's the case, but, you know, I'm not in that game, so maybe that is what it is. But that would seem very odd to me. Um, I mean, it could be. It be the whole purpose of the playing. You know, I know. A lot of our, our listeners say that they, they like to play for fun and some want to make the game a little bit more serious than other people want to. But so, I mean, I guess maybe if, if at the end of the day you guys just give everybody's money back, then you play for fun. But I, that doesn't seem like poker to me, right? Well, in the uh, religious world, tithing is 10%. Right. So it could just be like, hey, you know, here's cab fare. You know, the typical cab fare comment that Jacob's here is just sort of maybe yeah, being a little more uh exaggerating but maybe that's what it is maybe it's just like all right i'll give you action at the end of the night or maybe we'll you know forever whoever lost we'll try to make them feel a little bit better and we'll we'll pay for their dinner or, you know who knows what that tithe actually amounts to at the end but yeah i mean yeah it's kind of bizarre it's like why are you playing if you're giving them back money well, and as bizarre as it is, and I would not suggest people do this, it is a an interesting strategy for folks that want to keep their games going, right? Yeah. Because we have had some listeners say, hey, a couple of us are really good, we're cleaning up, we're actually feeling bad about taking the, our, our friends' money, particularly because some of them we don't think they can afford to be in this game. Um, so there, there's that whole argument. But then there's the argument of what eventually, if these players keep getting their asses kicked... <laughs> Uh, are not going to have money to come back to the game, and then the game dissolves, right? Yeah. So, you know, again, I'm not suggesting anybody do, does this, but it is an interesting thing that, you know, hey, at the end of the night, you know, winners give back X percentage of what they want to losers, so they still walk away a winner, but losers don't walk away empty-handed. Hmm, I don't well, there, know. And there is that when you first get into poker as a new player and you start reading books and you read one of the chapters of whatever that book would be that says hey, be prepared to lose every once in a while to your friends or to your game so that they'll keep inviting you back or that they'll have money that you can... You, you, what's that whole, you can shear a sheep, but you can only kill them once, you know, that kind of thing many times. So maybe that's it too, you know. They're sort of ensuring that these guys will... The other thing, though, is when you're playing this way, you might play differently knowing that you're going to get some money back at the end of the night. Oh, like, absolutely. I yeah, might take a chance here and go all in with this draw because if, even if I go broke, they're going to give me... 50 bucks back or something you know well, it's essentially an insurance policy right? yeah exactly it's, and and all of us in life have insurance right um you know somewhat because you're required to other because you feel like it's responsible to have so this is essentially poker insurance yeah and it's interesting that some online sites have done poker insurance in ways to run it twice as poker insurance right yep um so you know it's not really drastically different than that i mean it's just it's a way to make people feel a bit more comfortable so maybe they will gamble a little bit more Right. Yeah. So, pretty cool. May not be as bad as it seemed on first uh, blush, but all right. The public is invited to suggest nominees for this year's Women in Poker Hall of Fame ballot through March fifteenth. 
at womenspokerhalloffame.com. Chris will put the actual direct website on the uh, recap on Annie of Fans on Facebook. Uh, but up to three women can be suggested by each pe- person who visits the website on April 2nd. Hall members and a media panel that includes Antiep Magazine will begin voting on this year's inductees. Yep. Uh, and we're a part of that. Somehow we're a part of that, but not other things. I don't know yeah. how that how that works out, but we're we're well, honored know, to be a part of it. Every baseball player had to start at Class A at some time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you spent ten years in Class A, you better move on and find a better job somewhere, get into the market or something. Hey, we're crash from Bull, uh, Bull Durham, so you know we'll, we'll get our shot at the, at the big show at some point. Annie updates: Pearl River Resort in Choctaw, Mississippi, is hosting its next Annie Up Poker Tour event, the Pearl River Spring Poker Classic, March fifteenth to twenty fifth. Featuring eight events highlighted by an $810 buy-in, 100K guaranteed main event. The winner will appear on the May cover of Antioch Magazine and get entry into the 2018 Antioch World Championship main event. For more information, visit antiochmagazine.com slash Pearl River. And V. Cueva Hotel and Casino near Phoenix will host the Antioch Spring Poker Classic Antioch Poker Tour event March 22nd to the 24th. The winner of the $300 buy-in 50K guarantee main event will appear on the cover of the April issue of Antioch Magazine and get entry into the 2018 Antioch World Championship main event. For more information, including satellite schedule and special hotel room uh, offer, visit antiochmagazine.com slash Each week, we spotlight a listener who emails us at podcast at antiochmagazine.com. And if they haven't won something from us in the past year, just like we do with Call the Four and Hand of the Week, we send them something cool. This week's prize, a 30-minute telephone lesson and workbook from Thomas Gallagher Casinos. And I noticed you you changed the wording again. I'm not going to say which specializes because it's hard for me to say. I actually didn't change it. I Well, did you? Oh, I get it. I had it on a safe string. So yeah, stop it. It's not on the safe string. Uh, my tongue doesn't work that well this early in the morning. But it specializes <laughs> in poker odds and math at poker911.net. comes from Alex Schwartz. Said he was at Harris Atlantic City playing the one-two no limit cash game. I had been at this table with the same core group of players for about three hours, so I had a good read uh, of the play style and most of the most of the players. I had a feeling that my table image was that of a pretty tight player because before this hand, I had been getting garbage hands. Says garage hands, but (laughs) garbage hands for about the last hour. I'm on the button with pocket kings with a stack of about two fifty. A few limpers, then uh, the low jack, who I identify as a player who played a wide range of hands and was also pretty aggressive, raised to 10 bucks. The hijack calls, and I re-raise to $35. Folds around back to the low jack, who puts it in a $100 four bet. Hijack folds, and I snap shove. So the villain looks down at his cards and thinks for about five seconds and calls and turns over pocket aces. Same suit as my kings. Board bricks out for me, and I lose. Do I ever find a fold or just a call in this situation after his four bet to one hundred bucks? You want to take it first? Or you want me sure, to take I'll it take it. I, I, I've been talking for the last four or five minutes. I can keep going. <laughs> uh, well, yes, absolutely. Can you find a fold there? Absolutely. Um, I got to tell you, you know, there's always another hand thirty seconds from now, and I know you are in love with that thirty-five dollars you put out there. But now you've lost 250 because you didn't think it was possible this guy could four bet with aces, and I think it's possible. It's one thing to be aggressive and to play a wide range of hands. It's another thing to do that and four bet. So while I'm not going to pretend that there aren't guys out there who will do that with a seven, sure, 
I remember it was a Joseph Chong or what was his name at the I was the one of the last World Series main events I covered at the end. He went and did it with eight eight seven, went up against like Queens and lost the whole World Series. So, yeah, people four bet with a seven, but I don't know if they're doing it with uh, in a one two game in Atlantic City. Um, so me, yeah, could I get away from Kings? Absolutely, I've done it. I've gotten away from Kings for three bets sometimes because I just know. Um, this guy, when he makes it a hundred, I mean, he's not folding. So, you know, I don't know. Could he have done it with Queens? Maybe he probably just calls a Queens there, though. So, really, what hands he doing it? He's really bluffing you. Now you want to risk two hundred and fifteen dollars. You know what I mean? Because basically, that's what you're doing. Um, on Kings, and even if he had Ace King, you're still going up against three Aces, and you know what I mean. So, could you have folded that or just called? The call, I guess, is kind of interesting. I don't know if I could have called a hundred just to see a flop and then fold when he shoves on me because I believe he has because you need a king on that flop to feel comfortable about <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah, so. so I mean, it saves you money, but at the same time, you're literally just throwing money away unless you hit a king because right. he's going to shove on you. And then you have to put that same decision that you're on preflop. So um, I don't know. I, I I think a fold is possible there. Don't know if I do it. I'll be going on the cruise ship pretty soon, and I'll let you know if that <laughs> happens. Um, but yeah, it is definitely something I've done in the past in that sort of situation. So I could have folded there. Yeah, I'm not suggesting he should have folded there, but hey, absolutely, I think we've all folded kings at some point, and we all probably remember the time we've done it because it doesn't happen very often, right? Yeah. Um, but again, a lot of it is the the game I'm playing in. Now, I mean, again, he he said this player has a wide range, which you talked about. But as you mentioned, this is one two no limit, and you know, as I was learning this. I would I would shove here with queens, and now I can't even imagine doing that anymore. So now it's kings that I had to think about, right? So we learn more as we go with that. That you know, it used to be a third bet was aces or kings. Um, you know, everybody's got a little bit more aggressive now, so now it's probably the fourth bet. But um, once you get to that point, that's what I got to think. Now, is it possible he also had kings in doing that? Sure, uh, as you mentioned, queens might do this. Sure. And yeah, there's this very small percentage of people that are just crazy and will do this with a, you know, a bluff hand. Um, but you know, you do all that math, and the best you can come up with is that you're fifty-fifty. So, do you want to flip a coin for your stack? If you do, great. You might want to hang out with uh, Jake Cody there. And um, <laughs> um, but I but I don't like flipping coins for my entire stack. I like to have an edge. And here, it's really hard for me to find a way that gives me a big enough edge that's worth playing for my stack here. So, you know, so I guess, again, I give more ammunition to all of our listeners next time they see me playing with me to four-bet me with impunity, because unless I have aces, I'm going to fold. But um, I think that that's just a better long-term strategy here, and, and especially in a cash game, as you mentioned, because there's another hand coming up now, and um, as soon as you fold that, um, and maybe you have the better of it that time. A couple so. of other quick things, too. If you really stopped and thought about what you'd written to us you would have known that you said about yourself was that you had a tight playing image so if you had a tight playing image you had a player who raises gets called then you re-raise as a tight player and this guy is still willing to four bet you knowing that you have an image that's tight you know he's got to have the goods because he may be aggressive and he may be loose but if you have that image of being, hey, here's a guy who only plays big hands, and now he's re-raising me after getting a call in between a raise, 
he's got to have a pretty big hand, so I'm going to make it 100 to go here because he's not going to be able to fold his huge hand, which is probably kings or queens, and I know I have aces. That, that's what this guy's doing. He's playing you for who you were. You were giving that tight image. So a tight image means you're only playing aces or kings or queens or ace-king. So he used that to his advantage, knowing that you would probably shove on him um, with your inferior hand to his aces, and, and that's what he did. So there's another reason why, if you just reflected on, all right, what does he think of the type of player I am? Could he do this to me? If he knew I had kings and would do this, would he do it with less than kings? So that's something that you might have thought of, too, before you shoved it all in there instead of snap doing it. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> Find yourself in a situation at your favorite poker room or home game and you're not sure what the proper ruling should have been? Email us at podcast at com. We'll have Hollywood Casino Toledo Director of Poker, Elliot Schechter, tell you how he would have ruled. This is Paul Rolston. He says, My friend was the tournament director of a main event at a small casino. Thirteen players remain and eight cash. A player limps and it folds to the big blind who moves all in. The two players are friends and the big blind says, I got this, lay it down. Uh, the limper open folds ace-ace. The tournament director gave him a one-hour penalty, which cost him about 20 to 30% of his stack. The tournament director wondered later whether he should have ejected him rather than the one-hour penalty for such obvious and dumb collusion. It was his first defense of the tournament. Well, I'll say before I give Elliot's answer, I, this is one where I didn't know where Elliot was going to rule, and I would have ruled differently, and this is why we have Elliot rule. Yes. <laughs> Scott yes. Locke, right? Yes. <laughs> Uh, all right, so Elliot says, TDA Rule 70, ethical play. Uh, poker is an individual game. Soft play will result in penalties, which may include chip forfeiture and or disqualification. Chip dumping and other forms of inclusion will result in disqualification. Uh, the tournament director's second thoughts were almost the right ones. Both players should have been ejected and their chips removed from play, not just the folder of the aces. The all-in player that suggests the fold should be disqualified, too. It takes two to tango. A conspiracy needs at least two players to conspire. These two players, based on what they said and did, colluded so that neither player would get eliminated prior to the cashing. The evidence here is not just circumstantial, it is quite apparent. Uh, this being either's first offense is irrelevant. The player with the aces had the right to remain silent, but instead chose to expose the aces. And with that action, this situation evolved from being suspicious to becoming disqualifying. I would have removed both players from the tournament and quickly called gaming enforcement agents upon receiving even the most mild pushback. From either player. Wow. Elliot with the firm hand, iron fist. <laughs> you know, it's interesting, and I, I think I'm probably in your camp where I would have might have done something a little differently as well. You know, the limper doesn't say anything, doesn't do anything, I mean, just folds, nothing happens. But because that guy chose to show, now it's collusion. That's kind of weird. You know, how many times in a game when we're playing in our home game and I'm looking at you and I'm like, Scott, you don't want any part of this. Just fold. And then you fold. You know, And even if you showed your hand, everybody at the home game is not going to think, oh, Scott and Chris, they're business partners. They're saving the money for the company. They're, you know, No, it's I'm just making my comment because maybe I want you to call. And I want you to think the opposite of what I'm – you know what I mean? Who knows what I'm thinking when I'm saying that? But in this case, because they were friends and everybody knew they were friends – this guy doesn't show his hand, nothing happens. But when he shows his hand, now they're both colluding. Now they wouldn't have given the guy a penalty had the aces stayed folded. You know, if, if he just folded didn't say anything, the other guy, they, they wouldn't call the floor over and say, hey, this guy told him to fold and he did. It's collusion. No. 
they say it all the time in home games, I mean, uh, in tournaments and stuff. You hear it all the time, even on television when you're watching. The guy's like, eh, you might as well fold. You don't want this one. You don't want to play with me. It happens all the time. But because the guy showed his hand, now the other guy's colluding? Interesting. Well, it, yeah, it is interesting, but it is clear as well, too, yeah. as I said. So I, I don't disagree at all. I, I don't disagree with anything. What I'm saying is I'm glad Elliot <laughs> explained this in ways that I hadn't thought about. Yeah. <clears throat> um, but, you know, at, at no point in my thought before Elliot responded did I not think that this was collusion adjacent, right? Right. Um, I, and also, in reality, you know, I, I yes, it was clearly collusion, but I don't think it was coordinated collusion. So that's a hair that we can split if we want, right? But, you know, <clears throat> this is kind of the problem with people playing too loose and by loose i don't mean how they played poker but they're they're too casual with their comments you know so this guy said i got this lay it down and then the other guy did fold so maybe there was something more to it because that's that's a pretty (laughs) and we just talked about laying down uh, kings but (laughs) it's tough to hold down aces right (laughs) so maybe there was more to it but but i would say more often than not when you hear this kind of table talk it's a bunch of idiots um you know, uh, not not people that are uh, Ocean's 13 coordinating a big heist, right? Yeah. Uh, but it doesn't change the fact that it happened. And again, as I, I've said often on this, is these rules don't, even though we have rule number one, which allows tournament directors wide discretion, um, often the rulings are not made based on that particular situation, but as to protect the overall integrity of the game. And that's why, you know, when that poor 85-year-old uh, woman playing 1-2 limit poker accidentally exposes her hands, that she's put on the rail for a round, even though everybody knew that she wasn't doing it on purpose, right? Yeah. It's because you have to enforce it uh, evenly and not say, oh, yeah, I'm sorry, you're 85, so you get a pass, um, right? So, um, and this was a one of those situations that I'm sure these players would have been upset. I'm sure other players would have been upset had the tournament director immediately removed him from the tournament. But, you know, after reading Elliot, I, I, I can't disagree with him. I, I think that's what you need to do here and remind people. It, it's To me, it's almost akin to joking about having a gun at the airport, right? Right. You know, okay, so yeah, so it's a joke. Okay, he didn't have a gun, but that's not the place to make that joke. Right. And this is not a place to make a, a joke about your hands. Um, and if you let people go and say, oh, don't worry about it, don't joke next time. Uh, the people continue to joke. So you need to find a way to make sure people understand the, the gravity of their comments um, and, and so they don't do it in the future. And then if you're the guy who didn't, you know, the guy who's a friend of the ace-ace dude, you know, afterward you take him in the parking lot and you smack him. <laughs> you're like, dude, I know we're friends, but you almost got us both ejected. I didn't know you had ace-ace. He just, you know, I mean, God, you know, you call and you knock me out, you know. That's just, uh, smack him for that. <laughs> hey, we get to complete O'Malley's move today. Always exciting when that happens. We're going to refresh our memories here with part one. Hello, and welcome to another O'Malley's move. I'm Malcolm O'Malley. We're continuing on with the 5 cent, 10 cent, no limit hold'em home game. We now sit with around $27 and have been playing pretty solid poker. We're in the cutoff, and the game is now seven-handed. The blinds post, the under-the-gun limps, the plus-one folds, and the MP makes it 40 cents to go. The hijack folds, and we look down at the ace of hearts, ace of clubs. 
Can't ask for anything more than that. We bump it to one dollar. It's folded around to the MP, who thinks briefly before calling. It almost looked like she wanted to raise. She's a pretty solid player, but her weakness is she has a difficult time getting away from big hands when she's beat. Don't we all? She's been running bad lately, and has been gun-shy and a little discouraged, but not erratic. She also likes to lay traps with her big hands, and she may perhaps be doing this here. Our antennas are certainly at full staff. She sits with $18. There's about two twenty-five in the pot, and the flop comes down the jack of spades, ten of spades, six of hearts. She quickly leads out for one seventy-five. I'd like to see how serious she is about this hand, so we bump it quite a bit. We make it four fifty to go. She hesitates, again briefly, before calling. With eleven twenty-five in the pot, the turn is the seven of spades. She counts out a $5 bet and puts it into the pot. So, she's put $10.50 into this pot and has $7.50 left in her stack. What does the $5 bet mean? Is she trying to entice us in? Is she sending the signal that she's willing to stack off right here? What's the move? I don't like this spot. Malcolm said she looked like she wanted to re-raise pre-flop but didn't. She leads out on the flop, calls our raise, and then leads out again on the turn Either this is a nerves of steel player or she has something legitimate. It could be the same hand, but like O'Malley, my antenna has been up all hand, and I don't like what I'm seeing. Hmm. My uh, my co-host didn't actually say what he would do here, though. You keep forgetting that I'm running for re-election here. You never say what you want to do. Don't dance around it. It sounds like you're folding, but I'm shoving. She easily could have king-king, queen-queen, ace-king suit, or even ace-jack. I think we're good, and she can't lay down hands, so we'll get paid off if I'm right. I'm, I'm getting it all in there. <laughs> all right, here we go. Here comes part two. Hello again. You know, I could go either way on this one. She either has it and is value betting, or she doesn't, and she's trying to get us to fold. Either way, I don't want another decision on the river, and I don't want to fold. We shove. She sighs, says, I have to call, and pushes her stack in. We ask if she wants to run it twice, and she agrees. She turns over the king of hearts, king of clubs, and after blanks on both rivers, we scoop the pot. Until next time, I'm Malcolm O'Malley saying sometimes they either have it or they don't. On this one, she had it, but she didn't. I hope to see you on the felt. Okay, so this is a nerves of steel player. <laughs> Got my answer. Uh, but, you know, hey, this is interesting, and, and we should have talked about this earlier in the show, but it, it did remind me of a poker lesson I gave a group last week. So, you know, I, I get a lot of requests now for to donate things to charity auctions and things like that, right? So um, uh, what I have been doing now is I've been uh, donating a poker night party at the winner's house where I come and, you know, bring the chips and the cards and – Teach them all a little bit about poker and then deal out a couple sit and goes. You know, a lot like we used to do with the poker one on one classes, what yep. we do on the cruise, right? Yep. And so, so I had one this last Saturday. Awesome group, phenomenal. We had a lot of fun. Um, one of them was actually a decent player, played enough. The other one had played a lot of five card draw and stuff and stuff like that. Everybody else was brand new to it. And so I'm really starting almost from the beginning. Um, but the only thing I, thing I didn't have to teach them is the hand ranks. They all knew that, right? Mm -hmm. But at one point, and it was a good, fun group, you know, they had some beers and, and pizza and stuff, and it was fun, and uh, they, they joked about how that if, if they ever, the, the one of them asked whether I was going to play in the sit-and-goes, <laughs> and I'm like, no, I'm just dealing, 
And uh, and then one of their players is like, oh, he would crush us all. And then I'm like, actually, no. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, you know, this is it's important because you guys, no offense, but don't have any idea what you're doing. <laughs> so you are the nightmare scenario for players that know what they're doing because we cannot put you on anything. And I, and I got the whole opportunity to explain, you know, Joe Navarro and Tells. And, yeah, you pick up the happy feet, but if the person doing the happy feet has – uh, queen seven and thinks that's a great hand <laughs> you picked up the tell but it didn't help you right right um and so that's why it's so difficult for uh for uh, uh, decent players to play against absolute beginners so i think that was the challenge we had here so you know and that's the challenge probably we're gonna have the entire time that he's playing in this five cent ten cent game boy you really picked a long way around delaying it <laughs> me let you say that i was right here i mean <laughs> <laughs> You're just avoiding the inevitable here. I was right. We should. We were right. So that's what we should do. We should king, king. And uh, I love being right. But you just, you know, you just want to keep telling your stories. Typical yeah, politician. I, uh, yeah, filibuster. I'm very good at <laughs> filibuster. Delaying the inevitable. <laughs> no, it was uh, it was a good good play. Uh, and uh, he read the situation right. So I'm happy for O'Malley. Love being right, though. Thank you very much. All right, it's time for the advancedpokertraining.com hand of the week. Send your hands or situations to podcast at antietmagazine.com. If you haven't won something from us in the past year, you'll get a free membership to Advanced Poker Training, the world's number one poker training site. And our good friend Dr. Frank is back. No, 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 no reaction to Dr. Frank being back? Uh, no, I just, I'm waiting for you to tell me what's going on. I just thought you were going to say, hey, Dr. Frank's a nice guy. Okay, he's awesome. But, uh, but no, that's all right. That's all right. Okay. <laughs> All right, he says, I have thought longer and harder about this hand than any other hand I've played in the past year. I'm going to limit my comments during the play of the hand so you guys can really have at it. So there you go. Uh, and then I will share my thoughts right or wrong on how I played it. This was a $200 buy-in no-limit hold'em tournament with a 30000 starting stack at 30-minute levels, about 150 entrants. I'd been playing for a few hours. There were 68 players left, still a long way to go. Blinds were 1000 2000 with a 300 ante. And I had 70,000 ships or 35 big blinds. Uh, it was both. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I'm just having fun. I'm sorry. What? Did you take PMs last night, too? No, no, no. Uh, sorry. I took uh, AMs last night. <laughs> I got my body clock all messed up. <laughs> um, all right. I was just moved to a new table in the big blind position. There were three stacks smaller than mine, two about the same size, and four much larger, including the villain, who is now the second biggest stack of the table and had at least three times my stack. He was the button uh, in his coming hand, and I had never played with him before. Uh, we were in the big blind. Uh, there are two limpers to the button who raised to 7,000. And after posting a big blind, I had 68,000 left or 34 big blinds. And I have pocket tens. Uh, to me, they shrivel up and just become a set mining kind of thing. Um I'm. I should have before the show. I thought about looking for the Dan Negreanu clip where he says to just tens, yeah. <laughs> uh, and playing it right in this moment. But uh, I didn't have time this morning. So, um, yeah. I mean, you're out of position. You got a guy who can felt you, and uh, you know. I mean, you could consider something like, hey, if, if you knew anything about this player, you might consider re-raising again, shutting it down, or you know, so you at least get heads up with him, and then you bet out on the flop, no matter what it is, and hope that he folds. But in this case. You can go home if you make a mistake. You've gone halfway through the field. Do you really want to go home with tens? So I might just call, hope for a really small uh, small flop, and then just 
be content to check call the whole way and see if this guy, you know, not that I'm not, uh, not that I'm being passive here. It's just that you're out of position the whole way and it's tough to take control of a hand when he's the button and has three times your stack and you still only have tens. Um, they're only one pip better than nines. And if you had nines, you wouldn't be happy about it. So it's not that big of a deal. So I think I might just call and see what happens. I, I, I can't imagine re-raising when I have no idea how this guy plays. Then he shoves, then what do you do? You wasted all those ships for nothing with tens. So let's right. call and set mine and flop comes small. You still kind of check to him. Bet. If he bets, you call and then see if he checks to him again, see if he checks behind. If he checks behind, then it's a good indication that he may have missed everything and has ace king or something and then so i i'm gonna wait i'm gonna be cautious moving forward but i am gonna move forward yeah i think uh, the call is the right way to go here again the standard is you call if it's ten thousand or ten percent of your stack and it's a little bit more because of the big blind in there actually no it technically no, it's you'll be exactly 10 so yeah. yeah um so this is a perfect that's right in the right range um, as you mentioned, we had tens, which could be strong, but is not strong enough to get too excited about. Uh, we got a button raise, which could mean anything, but we don't know those guys, so we don't know what it means. Um, but we do know he's going to have position the rest of the hand, um, and we are going to be out of position the rest of the hand. So that's going to make it difficult. So if we raise here now, now we put the onus back on us. And now if we raise, we're putting more than 10% of our stack in, right? Mm-hmm. Which means we're almost setting ourselves up to pot commit ourselves on this hand um you know unless we decide to wimp out and not see bet um and then fold it at that point um and that seems weaker to me than just calling here and waiting to see what happens so um you know we we have or the sec uh let's see well i forget where we are at the three stacks yeah we're about average so yeah so I'm going to call and I'm going to hope for uh, for a 10 uh, or three unders. And if not, then, you know, another hand coming up. And even if we have the three unders or even if we have the set, I still think we're automatically checking. Yeah, yeah, probably. I don't think I'm betting. Yeah, yeah, let him bet his hand. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Uh, the good doctor says, I decided the villain on the button was the big stack and was probably trying to steal the blinds and my 10s were probably far ahead of his stealing rage, so I three bet 21,000. I hope that the limpers and the button would just fold, and I'll increase my stack by about 15,000 chips. Um, a very good result. The two limpers... Oh, go ahead. No, no, no. I, I just I don't agree with it. No, let him, let him keep talking. Uh, the two limpers folded, but the villain called. Um, so, again, I think now the problem is, is now, that we, now we have to see bet or wave the white flag, right? And we see bet, and it's you know, ace king or a queen or jack or any of those overs, which are likely to happen. Um, we have to hope that whatever that over is, is not the over <laughs> that the button has. Right. Um, which could work, but at that point now there's 41, 50,000 in the pot. Right. Yeah. And we have 50,000 left. So, you know, it's really hard for me to imagine getting through this hand without putting all of our stack in. So at that point, I mean, I think, now we force ourselves in a spot where I think our C bet has to be our whole stack, doesn't it? Yeah, here here's the problem, and I I'm not picking on Frank, but he said he's to a new table, doesn't know how people play at this table, and yet he's already made an assumption that because he's got a big stack, he's on the button, he's stealing. Right. Which I understand that you could, but when you have limpers ahead of him, he's not stealing anymore. You know, now he's like, okay, I think that might be 
dead money if I make a raise, but he's not necessarily stealing. It'd be one thing if it folded to him and he's just trying to steal the blinds. He's got limpers ahead of him. That's one thing. Two, just because he's got a big stack doesn't mean he's aggressive and crazy. He could have had ace-ace before you got there, had three guys go all in with two kinks you know, each, and he tripled his stack before you even sat down and didn't even know, and he got lucky on one hand. And now he's actually picked up a hand and made the right play again. I always, you know, my fallback is always play ABC poker and think they're playing ABC poker until I'm told otherwise. And in this case, you've already made an assumption about a player that you've never played against, you don't know who he is, and you just sat down at him, and you're making your move out of position against a guy that you have no clue how he plays. And and I'm not saying that what he did was wrong, I'm just saying... Yeah, you just put yourself in a bad situation. Yeah, and you just said you didn't know anything about him, and then you, you put yourself in a situation that you really shouldn't, you didn't have to be in. You could literally have just gotten away with calling, and and I'm not saying it's going to go bad for him. He may have, may have gone I have no idea how this hand goes. I have no clue. I don't have it. So, anyway, that's just, you know, something to think about when you sit down at a new table, is just default back to ABC until told otherwise. In this case, he made an assumption that may or may not be true. Okay, the flop was queen nine for rainbow, and we are first to act with a pot of forty nine thousand. Well, see again, mine was checking, uh, and I would certainly check this flop had I just called. Uh, but now we've taken control of the hand. We're telling this guy we have a big hand. That's the thing about hand of the week is you always have to reset to what the person did rather right. than what we would do, unless right. we agree with what they did. And then, so in this case, I mean, I guess I have to bet now. I re-raise someone and took control of this hand to not bet now would be, you know, a classic mistake. So I guess you have to bet. We made it 21. That means there's 42 plus the other. So there's probably 45, 50 in the pot. 49, you said. 49 yeah. in the pot. All right, there you and go. So, left, so that's what I'm saying is now now we're uh, – if you're going to bet here, and I think you're right, we have to bet. I, th- I think we have to shove, shove now. Shove, yeah, because really, you're going to bet half your stack. Now, the good thing for us, I think, is that there's only one over, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, unless the button was sitting on a big pocket pair um, or a queen, uh, we probably are still ahead for now and and might uh, get everybody to fold here and pick up a pretty nice pot. Um, or if we do get called um, it's and they don't have the hand, maybe they have like an ace-king or something like that. Um, or a pair of eights or something like that, maybe. I don't know. Um, and then we have a good chance of, of doubling up, which is, is fine. But um, So the flop could be worse, um, but it could have been better. But at this point, I mean, what do you, well, you can't bet anything less than shoving. you got, you got to get, all, get it all in and hope. And this is, this is kind of the problem, I think, with raising from the big blind when you're brand new to the table with, with the chip stack that we have. So, yeah. yeah. If you, and if you check here and the big uh, the button bets half the pot, 25000 Now you still have to shove, I think, and now it's going to be really hard to get that person to lay down this pot for 25000 Yep. Here's the other thing, too. I, I'm not trying to interrupt you in mid-thought, but... Uh, no, no. Yeah. Okay, so if you if you think about this, what you did pre-flop, you should have thought to yourself, and this is classic super system, you know, it's not what you're doing on this street. You have to remember what's going to happen on future streets if I do this action. And so by the fact that you raised a twenty-one grand, you knew there was no way you weren't going to bet the flop, and then you knew you only had about 50000 left, and you knew that the, if someone called you, it was going to be at least 40000 in that pot. You're going to probably bet 50% of your stack, or 50000 in the pot. So you knew you were probably going to have to shove that flop if you're going to do what most people, most pros would tell you to do in this situation. So then maybe you don't 
raise preflop, you shove with shove, the tens. Yeah. Because, yeah, you know what I mean? So the only way. Yeah. It's the only way, really, to play that hand properly, knowing that no matter what came in that flop, you probably were going to have to bet if someone had called your re-raise preflop. So thinking about all that, and that's it's tough to think about all those things, especially when you're playing a $200 tournament. You know, it's not like you're playing a $5,000 tournament. You know what I mean? This is, and you don't do it for a living. You do it for fun. So, uh, you know, knowing Frank, you know, he, he cashes a lot, and he's got a system that apparently works for him. But in this situation, he probably could have just said, you know what? I'm gonna have to bet again after this. I should maybe I should just uh, shove here, and if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. And then we all would have, you know, skewered him and said, "What are you doing shoving with tens?" Well, you I know? mean, yeah. Here's the interesting thing because uh, I think your thought process is right here. The problem is, is that we're thinking of it now because of the situation we found ourselves in now. You know, if you show preflop, you're gonna pick up fifteen thousand. So you're you're risking, risking seven thousand to pick yeah. up fifteen, right? Um, which makes sense if you're going to let yourself get in trouble with your hand. And we talk about this a lot, right? You know, you can play aces and kings, anything, however you want, as long as you're willing to get away from them if they don't hit. Right. So I, I think that we're just looking back defensively now and saying that was the way you should have done it because now we realize we got to this point and we have no other option other than shove right now. Um, but I don't think it was the right thing to do pre-flop to, to risk our entire stack as we literally just sat down <laughs> at the table. We didn't know anybody um, against uh, a big stack that had three times as much of us who had raised on the button. That, that That's a tough pill for me to swallow. Yeah. But um, but seeing where we are now, I, and I, actually I'd probably even defend playing the same way, but pre-flop knowing hey i'm making this bet now if i get called i'm shoving the flop whatever yeah that might be better and then we got lucky i think we got lucky because the flop was better than it could have been now now it may not it may be terrible for us we'll find out but um but it's way better than having two paint cards on there and just one so yeah but we have to shove now i mean that's that's we got ourselves in that situation now i agree we would have just called the ten thousand or whatever it is, seven, yeah, uh, seven, yeah, seven, which is only five to us. I mean, we the chance, the the reality of it is that we're probably going to fold to a bet here now because I don't think we can feel confident about our tens. Um, or at that point, I mean, maybe it's a different bet because we didn't raise as much, so the pot's smaller, so maybe we can peel one more off just to see. I don't know, but um, so I mean, if we end up shoving and winning this hand. That's a better result than if we played it the way we're talking about playing it now, but. Pretty scary though to sit in a new table and be all in on the first hand, or one of the first hands. They didn't say when he moved, so you know. Yeah. All right. Um, all right. Frank says I figured that if I checked the big stack villain, he would just bet me off the pot. So I decided to see bet a little more than half the pot, twenty six thousand. I figured that unless he hit the queen, I was still ahead. And if he didn't hit a queen uh, or a nine or a straight draw, that he would fold. Instead, he shoves all in. <laughs> hmm. Back to us. Yeah, I mean, I now we've bet. Let's see, twenty one and twenty nine. He said, so. I mean, that's clearly fifty thousand of our seventy k stack. We only have twenty left, which which is fine. You have ten big blinds, which are shoving on the next decent hand now. You know, and so I, I don't know if I can get away from it now. You know, I might just have to call. You know, that's the thing. That's the the beauty of of just set mining with tens and checking behind you've only lost five grand you let it go and you move on now 
you got 50 grand in the middle with only 20 left, and you got a guy shoving with you with an over on board and a preflop raise that you really don't know how he plays. So he could easily have you beat with jacks or kings or ace-queen. Ace-queen seems pretty likely here, too. So, I uh, I mean, if something tells me he folds, and then the guy shows a bluff or something. But in, in my mind, I don't know if I can get away from it now just because of how much money I've put in the middle. I think I'm just going to call and chalk it up to a lesson. And next time I don't do this, next time I learn from that, you know, especially a new player. It'd be one thing if you were at the table all day with this guy and he just plays any two cards and loves to intimidate but you don't know how this guy plays. So uh, I think I'm going to call. I, 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 I'm probably going to be skewed for that, but I think I'm going to call. It's so much money in the middle that I've put in there myself, and I have to shove on the next hand anyway. So it's like, really, to me, it's like a coin flip. Either he's got a queen or he doesn't, and he's either bluffing or he's not. That's the other thing, too, is does this guy realize that he probably can't fold our hand, so he probably has a hand here, and we're probably behind. Um, but I'm, I'm probably just going to... I know you like to be short stack ninja. You might fold, but I think I'm probably just going to call. Well, here's the thing: is that this is like reliving every horror movie I've ever seen, right? Because, <laughs> I mean, how many times has, has this happened to you in a tournament where you played really well, and or, or let's say well, maybe not really well, but you know, you're you're hanging in there. You got a decent stack, right? According to this table, or what, what he gave us, and um, and then it goes completely off the rails in one hand. And you're all in, and it's gone. Like all that work for however many hours is poof over one bad hand. Usually it was Jack Ten for me, but um, uh, so that this is the scenario that I see myself in right now. Is that I mean, uh, even the short stack ninja is not going to let me fold here and and have ten big blinds and and shove going forward. I'm going to be so upset with how much I gave away for nothing in this hand. So. Um, and and there's a lot of other things going on here. I mean, it's a bigger stack, so I mean, I'm not convinced that I'm behind here. Um, and even if I am be and behind, um, there doesn't seem to be anything. I mean, I'm not drawing dead. I don't believe to anything. So, um, still a chance I'll, I'll survive this and then have to like you know smack myself around during the next break and remind myself <laughs> yeah. not in that situation. <clears throat> so at this point, I think we have to call. And then um, I, 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 I figure what's going to happen is we're going to call, we're going to lose, and we're going to be upset, and um, and then we're just going to learn not to get in the same situation in the future. But I, you know, I, hope what? Hope. I think I think you've just given me a brilliant new business plan for tournaments. <laughs> I'm serious too. I don't know if I should even say it on the show if I should talk to you in private about it. <laughs> but it's called the Mulligan Tournament. Like in golf, you're allowed to have one mulligan around when you're playing with your friends or when you're playing in a tournament that's kind of relaxed, and you're allowed to have one do-over. If you hit a ball into the rough or you hit it into the water, you're allowed one mulligan. You get to start over. So, I think you're going to get invited to the Democratic poker game. I that. think so. In poker, if you're... If you, of insurance. Everybody in the tournament is allowed one mulligan chip, and whatever mistake you make, the house will replace those chips. So let's say in this scenario frank's wrong and he says all right well i'm out of the tournament but i want to use my mulligan for the one move i made a mistake on and the mistake was i shouldn't have risked twenty one thousand dollars on the bet here or whatever whatever it is and he gets the mulligan back so whatever chips he started the play with that he made which he made a mulligan with he gets those back and everybody gets to do it once in the entire tournament the tournament will take forever to end but it's worth it because they'll all want to play it 
Now, I, I don't want to uh, spoil your quick uh, scheme here, but uh, I've actually heard of this scenario, not the way you presented it, but I have heard of tournaments where there is a some form of mulligan offered. Uh, not a lot of them, but I have heard that concept. I mean, a rebuy is kind of like that, too, except it costs you something. So, Well, that's true, too. But but this doesn't cost but, you anything. You know, even the Thunder Valley, they do free buys on PLO tournaments, Ooh, which is an interesting comment. So, I mean, at that point, you get, you get free buy chips. And you can cash them all in once if you want. If you want to start with a big stack, and then if you lose, you're out. Right. Or you can use them as insurance chips, and so you're, it's not a rebuy. But once you, if you go broke, then they just give you another 10k or something. Wow. So, not the same as what you're talking about. All right. Well, it's interesting. Concept, but, you might yeah. explore it. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, Frank says uh, if he had a queen, of course I was way behind. Uh, but I imagine he could also make this move with a lot of other hands, like a suited nine, like ace nine, king nine, jack nine, ten nine, and even eight nine. All which I had crushed. Maybe he would even do this with jack ten. Who plays jack ten that way? Uh, would we <laughs> him open-ended straight draw? If I folded here, I'd be left with about twenty-three thousand or eleven big blinds. I'd be in short stack mode, and I would have established the table on my very first hand that I could be pushed around. A little side note here: you only got twenty-three thousand units left, yeah, so yeah. and get pushed around. But yeah, uh, I gritted my teeth and called. Uh, he showed queen nine for two pair. I did not approve and was out. So he said, I, I do want to revisit my and analyze my pre-flop action where I believe I made my biggest mistake. There were four possible actions. One fold, two call, three re-raise the standard amount, something like 15000 to 25000 four shove. Uh, for number one, fold. This is a reasonable option, but I think it's more wrong than correct. Folding with pocket tens at this stage of the tournament seems pretty weak. Only four pocket pairs are better. You don't get dealt tens are better very often, so getting some value from them is important. Tournament clock is ticking. On the other hand, it costs me nothing extra to fold. I've still got a reasonable stack. And as Daniel Negreanu said on your own show, <laughs> there are only 10s. I can't fault someone for folding, but I don't think it's the best play. Two, call. I don't think this is the best choice either. Seven out of eight times, my 10s will not approve with set on the flop, leaving me playing a medium pair out of position. Lee Child said on one of Randy up cruises to try to avoid putting himself in a position of having to make difficult decisions. If the flop comes coordinated or with one or two over cards, I won't be able to continue with confidence. But it's not a difficult yep. decision. I'm sorry, you got to interrupt because he's saying stuff that I need to talk about. It's not a difficult decision if you just call like you're supposed to there. If you just call for a measly 5K and then an overcard comes, you check, he bets, you fold, you made the right play. If you shove preflop, it's not the wrong play either because, like we said before, if you're going to re-raise at 21,000 or whatever it was and you get a call, you know you're going to have to see bet You're going to have to see bet pretty much your whole stack and put yourself in a position you actually put yourself in and lost to. So now you're saying to yourself, those are the wrong plays, but actually if they were done properly, you get away for five five grand or you shove and the guy folds queen nine so again it could have been anything that's results oriented but he could have you know, could have anything he wanted but in this case you know your 10 10 gets him to fold if you shove and your 10 10 gets away for five grand if you call so i, I don't think those two plays are really bad plays i don't i don't agree with that interesting all okay, right i'm well, sorry we'll talk about the call here right. uh, he also said not to set mine if it costs you more than five percent of your effective stack I question him on this point because on average you hit your set one out of eight times or about 12%, so why can't I put in 10 to 12% of my stack to set mine? Lee said that would be mathematically correct only if you're guaranteed to double up every time you hit your set, but we know that doesn't happen every time. Sometimes you just lose the hand. Sometimes your opponent misses the flop so badly that you can't get him to put in very many chips, so your set loses some of its value. Other times the board is so coordinated that you have to either try to bet someone off and draw or play cautiously against losing value. Lee said you should make sure you have a, a big enough stack to compensate for the times you hit but don't double up. Your stack should be at least 20 times the bet for you to profitably set mine. 
when the villain raised the 7,000, I had 68,000 left and would have had to put in 5,000 more to call. Accordingly, I need a stack size of about 100,000 to call, 5,000 raise to set mine. As an aside, calling with suited connectors is much worse with the stack size. Here's why. With medium pairs, you'll usually know in the flop whether or not to continue. This is actually part of what we were talking about, right? Yeah. Uh, but anyhow, uh, with suited connectors, you may sort of hit the flop if you flop something like a draw or pair. Uh, or a pair in a draw, you may need to see the turn of river before you know whether your hand is valuable. You probably will need to put in more chips on the pot and, and therefore a bigger stack to profitably speculate. Playing speculative hands like medium pairs and suited connectors with an insufficient stack size is a big leak in my tournament game. This hand has clarified my need to plug this leak. On top of all this, there are two players behind me yet to act. Either could have three-pet me off my hand. I think a call is just wrong. All right, so here's the other thing. I, I, it's just not I – don't, I don't agree with that at all. The set mind thing too. That is that is not the interpretation that I think Lee means. When we talk about set mind here with the tens, we're saying that we're hoping to hit a set. But tens is still a formidable hand in a, a, a heads up pot against so. somebody. You know what yeah. I mean? So you're also looking at all under flops when they don't fit. When they fit in the equation, this guy could have ace king or queen. Not a pair of deuces, right? Yeah. yeah, it's not a pair of deuces set mining. It's not a pair of three set mining. And then I also agree with Frank in that yeah, if you're going to hit a flop one out of eight times, then why not be able to risk ten percent of your stack? And it's not really, I mean, it's not 10% because he had two invested already, plus there's a bunch of money in the middle, and he's only putting in five of his 70, which is not 10%. It's less than 10%. And you have 10s. It's a formidable hand. We're just saying, when we say it's just 10s, that's right, it is just 10s. And people love to play Broadway cards, and when a Broadway comes on a flop, they shrink up, they're just 10s. But we're hoping to hit a set, so we set set mine. But in this case, 10s is a, re- is a, a legitimate hand. And so to call a raise with that, you could be slow playing tens for all we know here. And this guy could just have ace king or king queen or in this case queen nine. But, you know, I don't agree with that either. The set mine argument goes out the window because he meant baby cards. He didn't mean tens because you put yourself in a set mining situation. But it doesn't necessarily mean that tens needs to be a set mine. It could just be, hey, my tens are good. A lot of flops come nine high. And boom, you're good because this guy thinks I'm going to see bet with ace king or in this case, queen nine, you would have taken, you would have doubled through him if he hit nine high. So, you know, again, I don't like to speculate on things because you know what he has. I feel like we already have that information, so you're making the, the perfect call. But in this case, that calling is, I think, is the right play here. I, I don't see how calling is the wrong play at all. At well, all. the other thing, too, here is he mentions the, the risk of the other players uh, re raising here, but there's also a possibility that those other players will call. And so if you go to this flop four-handed now, which is what you dream of with set mining, right? Yeah. Um, the chances of you being able to double through as he wants to do uh, are now significantly better because now you've got three players that might pay you off um, rather than just one. So yeah. um, so there is some other – there is some stuff, other stuff that, that really pushes me towards that being a, a good play. Um yeah, I'm calling. All right, and then he continues on uh, with option three, which was re-raise a standard amount, something like fifteen to twenty-five thousand. He says, "I think uh, this choice is the one I actually, and the one I actually chose is clearly wrong. I became pot committed with a vulnerable hand. I had thirty-four big blinds, but I diluted their power by splitting on my stack by betting on two different streets. Yep, we said that at the beginning. Good. Yep. Yep. And then four shove, which is what we talked about. Maybe he says, "I now believe this is the optimum play. Stack sizes of twenty-five to forty big blinds are awkward to play." But I didn't really understand why until this hand. These stack sizes are too large to open shove. In an unraised pot, a shove 25 to 40 big blinds is a big overbet and puts too many chips at risk for minimal gains. 
Yet a stack of 25 to 40 big blinds is too small to play speculative hands um, profitably, especially in a raised pot. This stack size, according to Dan Harrington, is a perfect size for the re-steal. Once the villain raises a 7,000, a shove for me is nearly 10, 10 times what he bet and very likely to get him off his hand. Anyway, the whole point of this hand analysis, I think, is to make players more aware of stack size, especially in tournaments. If you are below 40 big blinds, think twice before you play speculative hands, especially in raised pots. And I understand that your most effective play may be to put pressure on the late position player who tries to steal the blinds. Uh, yeah, you know, here's the deal is, again, if you just call and fold, you have 65K left. And you're sitting pretty with, you know, just one, two blinds. You've got 30 blinds basically left. You know, I, plus, plus just a small blind, and then you're in position for a while. Too. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, I just think that a call there was—it's it's a simple hand for me. I just you just call and fold. You call, check, fold, and in this case, you know, because uh, let's look at it this way: if you shoved and he folds, okay, you won, and that's probably the the wise play if you're trying to do mathematical stuff and you're trying to be aggressive. But when you sit at a table where you don't know anything's going on, you're not going to fold tens. It's too weak. So the next play is call, which is more reasonable. You call and then, because look at it this way. If you shove and the guy turns over aces, everyone will look at you and be like, and then they'll say Dan Negron was lying to you. Dude, it was just tense, <laughs> right? But if you call and then fold, and it's like, yeah, that, that makes sense. Because you don't know how this guy plays, you know, and your shove could easily, easily just be called by a jacks, queens, kings, ace, king, and you lose a race, ace, queen, you lose a race. So... I think the proper play there is a call and, and then be careful. And then, you know, look at that. Queen nine, you check, he bets, you fold. 65, hey, I'm small blind, then I'm positioned the rest of their hand, you know, the rest of the round. I, I think that's what you should have done. But, you know, you live and you learn. Live and learn. <laughs> I'm Chris Costenza. And I'm Scott Log. We'll see you at the table. Anti-Up is a production of antiupmagazine.com. Contact the show at podcast at antiupmagazine.com or call our hotline at 206-338-6344. If you'd like to advertise, send an email to advertising at antiupmagazine.com or call 727-331-4335. Some music used in this episode comes courtesy of the Podsafe Music Network. Music Network.